Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to be back with you all today. I have a super juicy episode planned. Today's podcast guest is Lolly, and you may be familiar with her wife, Nicole LaPera, who is also known as the holistic psychologist on Instagram. Lolly and Nicole built their platform together from their tiny apartment in Philadelphia. Today, the Holistic Psychologist brand has a thriving community, podcast, and best-selling book. Now, the brand's concept of self-healing has not been without criticism from the wider mental health community. Lolly openly and candidly discussed all of this with me. After our conversation, what I was left with was the story of two women trying their best to open a new dialogue and approach to mental health to a world where resources and accessibility is often very limited, as most of you know. Their approach may not work for everyone, but it's clearly transforming the lives of many in their community. And as Lolly and I discuss, mental health should not and can't be a one-size-fits-all approach. It's easy in today's volatile and really binary internet culture for anyone who goes against the grain of the standard mental health system to open themselves up for criticism and backlash. And as I said before, the holistic psychologist brand has faced its fair share of that. Just like anyone else, I read some things online that stated that Nicole or the holistic psychologist team were resistant to even responding to any of this negative criticism, but I've not found that to be the case. I sat down and Lolly has been able to provide her take on all of this and was so incredibly open with me. And my personal view, and again, this is my personal opinion, is that it seems like if everybody could just sit down in a room together facing one another, I think people would leave that room feeling like we're all just trying to accomplish the same thing, which is trying to help people in the best way we can and the best way we know how. Navigating a mental health system that I think we can all agree is overwhelmed, underfunded, not very accessible for people not only in the United States, but around the world. So I, for one, am glad and grateful that communities like the Holistic Psychologists exist because this is a place where people that align with that message can find help if they need it. 
And for those of you that are long-term listeners of the podcast, that's exactly what I'm trying to do here. I have no professional credentials. I state clearly that I'm not a mental health professional whatsoever, but I'm trying to speak out into the abyss (laughs) what has worked for me and it's a very unconventional approach. It's not the standard just talk therapy and medication approach. While that works for some people, that's not what's worked for me. So the message of this episode is really just that people should have access to all the information and have the ability to make the decision to decide what works best for them as an individual. We dive into tons of other topics on this. Lolly and I discuss spirituality, what it means to her, and the important role it plays in healing and recovery. We talk about the controversial statement, our thoughts become things, and how we can look at that statement in a new way. We discuss Lolly's experience growing up with a mom who had BPD traits that she refers to as attachment trauma, and how she began to see some of those same patterns manifest within herself and her adulthood. We also dive into her experience with clonopin and Xanax dependency. We talk about psychiatric drug withdrawal. And then finally, we have a super exciting conversation about the rise of Web 3.0 and decentralized networks and what that could mean for mental health communities and creative people with BPD and others with complex trauma. So many people in this community are incredibly creative and I feel as though my position and this podcast and my role here is to empower my listeners and the rise of web 3 is actually how i found lolly she's really active in that space and is super excited about it and for me i'm someone who is very intimidated by it all and so i wanted to bring an initial conversation to the podcast to talk about how those of us who are incredibly sensitive creative people suffering from complex trauma and bpd and how we can start educating ourselves about the world of web 3 and what that could mean for us as a community so you know the drill i'm gonna roll that intro and after that we'll jump straight into my conversation with lolly you have entered back from the borderline where we walk willingly into the darkness within our minds and return home to ourselves transformed. I'm your host, Molly. I spent most of my life numbing the pain and emptiness inside me, unaware that my self-sabotaging behaviors and thoughts were destroying my ability to connect with myself and other people. One day, I decided I was sick enough of my own bullshit to hear life calling, telling me it was time for a change, and I decided to answer that call. On this podcast, we'll learn that when we see ourselves as the hero of our own journey, it gives us the best chance at finding our inner truth and integrity. Together, We'll learn to hold complex feelings, expand our consciousness and self-awareness while making meaning of our suffering. Are you ready to find out who you are underneath the weight of everything that's been keeping you stuck? If the answer is yes, follow me down the rabbit hole of psychological and spiritual growth. 
I'm so glad you're here. And with that, let's dive straight in to the episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I am here with Lolly, and I think that Lolly and Molly is the coolest uh, podcast duo ever. Obviously. So Lolly, do you want to go ahead and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I'm Lolly um, from New Jersey, and I am the wife to some, a lot of people listening might know, the holistic psychologist. And um, yeah, I do a lot behind the scenes. I help run the company. Um, We have a media psychology company, and I'm heavily involved in that. Just a tiny little company, you know, just a little account called The Holistic Psychologist. I mean, it's still little to me. Like I know the impact, but it still feels like a little baby to me. So yeah. And I say that for those of you that don't know, which I'm pretty sure that the majority of my listeners will be aware, I'm being very sarcastic when I say it's a little account because I think Nicole's account, which all of you contribute to is like almost like 5 million followers on Instagram. What is the holistic psychologist as a brand. Yeah. So we just release free content to teach people how to heal. And we do that across a wide variety of platforms, you know, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, all the social channels. We have books. um, We have a podcast, but yeah, we just, we are healing education for free. Which the world needs much more of. And that's why I reached out. Yeah. Which I reached out to you because that's exactly what I'm trying to do here. And that's what uh, you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know what? That's exactly what Zaz always tells me too. He's just like, you need to speak in the active voice. That's right. Yep. It's uh, you and Zaz really would be besties. You will be besties. I I feel like we're um, kindred souls. Him and I, you, you really, really are. How did you initially get involved in the work with the holistic psychologist? Was it just like you got your hands right in and started helping? Or did you kind of watch from the background for a while and then figure out like, how did it manifest that you started getting involved? Well, Nicole and I have been together for like eight years. So I've watched her be a therapist and I was always really curious, like what she does and how people are impacted. And, um, she was miserable. So Mm -hmm. she was miserable in that field. She was miserable doing it. And I went through a total emotional breakdown I was a mess. She was a mess. And we started a healing journey. And essentially I was like, we can do this totally different. Your life doesn't have to look this way. I've always thought Nicole was a teacher instead of a therapist. And I pushed her to go on to social media. That's how I got involved. I did. Yeah. Do you remember the day that you sort of brought this up to her? Like paint me the picture of that. And how did she respond? It was like kind of a long period because she was just so unhappy and I started being exposed to like Wayne Dyer. Have you ever heard of Wayne Dyer's work? Yes. I'm Are you obsessed fan? with, I love Wayne Dyer. Melanie, who is on the podcast, got me into Wayne Dyer and then Joe Dispenza and all that Lo- stuff. So all of them. Yeah. I'm so obsessed. So yes, on the yeah, same page. So you, you get it. So me and Nicole yeah. are like big learners. We love to read. We love to watch videos. And we were just exposed to all these different things. And it kind of widened the window for what I saw and what she saw for her future. You know, when you get a license to be a psychologist, you think you're going to be in this room. You think it's going to look one way. So how it happened was just a period of time of like seeing different people doing different things. You know, Joe Dispenza, Wayne Dyer, who were huge inspirations to us. And, you know, I knew that we could do that too. And I knew that Nicole Mm -hmm. had really unique gifts and talents. And they were being, in my view, suppressed into one little tiny room in Philly with 
really limited impact. For my listeners who don't know about Wayne Dyer and Joe Dispenza, I'm going to link to them in the podcast notes, but I'm curious, like, what do you love so much about those two men and their message? It's hopeful. Mm. It's inspiring. It's you can transcend yourself. It has Mm. a spiritual element to it, which I think is very much missing from the standard traditional psychological model. I think the greatest weakness in that model is the lack of spirituality. And a lot of people are turned off by that word or don't understand what it means. To me, it just means connection to the self and the greater world. Absolutely. What I like about them, Lolly, is that, you know, I think the whole manifestation thing gets a bad rap now because people just put it straight in the woo-woo shit category. Like they, and I think that we, I talked about this with a previous guest where we're spiritually starved. Uh, Courtney is the truth doctor on Instagram. 100%. Yep. Love her. Yep. Yes. She's great. And she just really agrees that there is just such a, the spiritual element has been gutted out of mental health. Have you always been a spiritual person? What did your or what and what did your life look like before spirituality? I think on some level I always was. I was always seeing the greater picture, which I think is part of spirituality in general, like able to leave yourself and look above. Um, but I've definitely become much more spiritual as I've gotten older and as I've experienced things. Like I know there's a purpose to life. I know that my trauma has taught me things. I believe that everything is by design. So um you know, I'm still developing in that way, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a very spiritual person. I think that for me, it's about maintaining a, a vibe of curiosity, isn't it? It's just 100%. realizing that I don't know anything for certain is a very liberating um, realization. And I think what I love about Joe Dispenza is just, I think maybe the best way to describe Joe Dispenza and Way Dyer is more like your thoughts create your reality, right? Whatever you feed with your thoughts is going to manifest. And how do you feel about that? Because I completely agree. Yeah. And we all know we have a bunch of like crazy thoughts all the time. Oh yeah. And so I wonder how like your audience is with that about thoughts creating your reality. So here's what I think, and this is a controversial take, but again, I've got, yeah, that's why why (laughs) I knew it would be. I've got a great uh, audience. And the thing is, I just feel so blessed for the people that listen to this podcast because they just fucking get it. And so Mm -hmm. like, I think people, there is a subsection of people, myself included, by the way, before I kind of really got into uh, my recovery journey, when people would tell me like thoughts become things that kind of would piss me off because (laughs) it, because I was just like, no, I don't create my reality. People think that when you say your thoughts create your reality, that somehow it's your fault that you were abused. It's your fault that you were sexually assaulted. It's your fault that I'm someone who has, I used to be a sex worker. I've been sexually assaulted. I have, um, was groomed as a young child by men that were like 40 and 50 years old. And for me, when people used to tell me your thoughts become things, I really just immediately rejected that because I just thought, so Mm -hmm. it's all my fault what happened to me. And I think that you have to reframe that. And if I really look honestly back in my childhood, my thoughts that I developed when I was a really young girl, which was, um, you're too much, you're kind of lucky if anyone will love you. And, um, so therefore when older men would pay attention to me, 
I felt like, oh, I better just take whatever love uh, I can get. When I would see, when men would treat me poorly, that's the, that's how I saw uh, people spoken to in my own household and the, the, the messages I got. Instead of thinking it's my fault, I look back and I really think, Obviously, stuff that happened to me when I was a kid wasn't my fault, quote unquote, but absolutely, as I become a 20, 20 to 25 years old, there are so many situations that I got myself into that I could have said no. I could have walked away, but I didn't see the red flags. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm, so absolutely. My, my thoughts became things, which is you're trash, you're unlovable, you're lucky that any if anybody will love you. And so therefore the people that had those similar beliefs about themselves attracted them themselves to me. And a lot of times those are people that are quote unquote toxic narcissists. It's like, that's such a buzzword oh, no, now. No. It's, it's so, I'm so over that. It's like everybody yeah. is suffering in their own way. I'm so tired of hearing about diagnoses, but I do believe that hurt people kind of like glom on to one another. If you're in a really healthy Absolutely. mind state, it's almost like you like have a force field against like, unhealthy stuff. You can have compassion, but you don't get sucked into the spiral. And I got sucked into the spiral of so many hurting people because I was one. So like, Mm -hmm. and once I started going, oh shit, 90% of my thoughts are like, I am trash. I am whatever, fill in whatever negative belief. When I started turning those around, my life started changing. So it's like, I believe that thoughts become things because I'm living Mm -hmm. proof. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with all of that. I love the way you framed it. I just asked out of curiosity because I know I'm super aware of how the collective frames things. So I know mm. the whole narcissist thing. I know yep. how thoughts create your reality is very triggering. I know the mindset behind all of that. So why do you think it's so triggering? So I think thoughts create your reality is just triggering because of the lack of emotional maturity, many of us are not able to develop, which is just really an awareness to objectively view how you've played a role in situations. And I think that's the triggering part is like, well, this means that I brought this on myself or, you know, I was a child, which no child brings on abuse to themselves. Um, I was a child and I made this happen to me quickly becomes a defense. And then you just shut down to even evaluating how you think and your role in situations. And you perpetuate that cycle by having this defensive nature against being open. So I think that's why it's triggering. And you know what? There were times in my life where that probably would, a lot of things used to trigger me in the past. And that was maybe one of them. And all of those things that I've gotten beyond, I see how much that's helped me grow. Now, when I'm triggered by something, I'm like, wait, Lolly, like there's something to look at there because every time in the past when this happened to you, you grew. Yes. I mean, it's so true. I was thinking about it the other day and I'm like, yes, there's a ton of shit that's happened to me in my life that was super traumatic. But I thought, what if all of us just never had any trauma and never had anything happen to oh, us? Oh, what we, a world. We would all be like the the little like amoeba pods in the matrix, just <laughs> these like boring, like, like boring jelly pe- vegetable people, you know, like yeah. trauma, just as, just as trauma shapes us, amazing things shape us, like the big things in our life it's, it, it builds resilience and that builds amazing stories. Like look at all of the, like the most amazing people that I love, like Oprah, Maya Angelou, yep. like all these incredible people that I admire. It's like, 
what would they be without their trauma? They wouldn't be where they are now. They wouldn't be connecting with people. Like Oprah can sit down and whatever your thoughts about Oprah are. I just love Oprah. Um, But uh, she wouldn't be able to sit down and connect with people as deeply as she did, especially in some of like her early talk show episodes. It's like she broke the mold because she – She's been through shit herself. So she can talk and ditto with Nicole, ditto with me, ditto with you. It's I like, think that Oprah is like a, just a straight up visionary uh, and for her to be who she is and to be able to sit across from someone and everyone can identify with her. Yes. She's so good at it that people don't understand what a skill set that is. Yes. Like she can sit across from anyone and you don't even know she's a billionaire. You don't know yep. she's Oprah Winfrey. That's like a straight up skill set. Um, and that, yeah, I mean, that comes from humility and doing a lot of the inner work. So yeah, I completely agree with you on her. It's like super empathy, you know, she can sit down with a white supremacist and find some point of connection. You know what I mean? See, And, and that is, is undervalued in today's world because yes, I'm sure, you know, from being online, it is a very harsh climate right now. There is no middle ground. It's not good. And it comes from a lot of that like emotional immaturity and that being shut down to different viewpoints and like having trauma and trauma makes you think in black and white, like good, bad, wrong, right. Yes. Immediately an enemy. People become enemies in, you know, 10 seconds of an online conversation. And, you know, in my view, it's because we're a very traumatized collective. Everything that happens in culture where there's pressure when you're a public figure, I'm sure, you know, like to stay a stance on almost everything to which you probably wouldn't have a platform every anymore because every week you just be talking about something in culture. As time's gone on, we become more resilient to it and we just continue on our path. We just stay on our integrity and we follow our hearts and we follow, we know is right. And we, we, we keep the path. Yeah. I think that's the only, that's the best way. Like I am nowhere near that platform. And I, I tell Zaz every day, my partner, that it's like, I like the size of my community now because it's a cozy, safe size. Like the bigger and bigger it gets, it kind of does scare me because- um, It gets scary. I'm not going to lie. You're not prepared. I knew how it would be for Nicole to say that you can heal yourself. I knew it would be controversial from day one. I knew there would be pushback. I know that like the way we view diagnosis and certain things is, is like counterculture. I did not know how harsh and brutal it would be at times, but like, even that has been an amazing learning lesson. Like it's made us better teachers. It's made us more resilient. Like I understand you being scared because when you're in that space, it's, it's scary. It is, you know, and also I found that, you know, some of the, the hate too, of like the whole self healers thing, it doesn't seem like again, the holistic psychologist brand is trying to tell people don't go to therapy, don't work with mental health professionals. That's not the message. And I think that that's what I've listened to. Like therapists that I, some therapists, not all, because again, I don't ever group anyone all into one bucket, but I have seen like, you know, mental health professionals shit talking, uh, Nicole saying like, she stops people from actually going to seek therapy. And I actually don't see that at all. I see it as, And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like she's absolutely like go to therapy, have a therapist too, but therapy doesn't end in the therapist chair. You have to continue doing your own self-healing work outside of therapy. At least that's how I feel. That's not what you guys are saying, right? Self-healing doesn't mean don't utilize the mental health system at large. No, no, we're (laughs) not trying to tear down the mental health system. We tell people, I mean, we have 
thousands of people in our membership who are in therapy in our community yeah. who are in therapy. Like Nicole's a therapist, like, yeah. you know, um, but yeah, it doesn't end in therapy. And also therapy, one thing that I think is missing from the whole conversation is not accessible. And we need to have honest conversations about this rather than just saying, oh, well, Nicole says that people shouldn't get therapy. Like, I don't know where these people are living. A vast majority of people in the United States cannot afford mental health treatment. And that needs to be something that we are honest about and open about, period. In, you can't, in Philly, where I used to live, we live in Arizona now, like there's no therapist to take insurance. There's wait lists for months. Like this is very real. So being in denial about these things is not going to help. Aside from that, we have a global community. Some countries, therapy doesn't even exist. Yes. We have people from Pakistan. I'm sure you have this with the global yep. community as well, who are like, thank you. I don't even have access to this. So um, I think there needs to be a greater conversation of this whole idea of like, we're never going to say everyone should get therapy because we have an awareness that everyone does not have access. Do we think it can support people? Of course. Do we recommend it? It's, I mean, I've been in therapy, Nicole's been in therapy, like, of course, but, um, misusing self healers to say that we tell people to not get therapy is deceptive, quite honestly. And we've honestly, we could speak this 4 million times and we have, and it won't yep. change people's mind to what they think we say. So it's not something that we really focus on. I mean, most people understand that we're pro therapy. What I hear over overwhelmingly from people is, and you know that I work primarily with people that have BPD, which is one of the mm -hmm. most stigmatized mental health disorders out there. Most, a lot, there are actually mental health professionals that won't even treat you if they find out that you have BPD. Uh, that, that's, I, I really hate to interrupt you. That's also very important. Nicole has treated people with BPD, schizophrenia, mm -hmm. and nobody wants to talk about the fact that those people who came in our office were turned away from countless therapists before. Yep. You know, like that's, that's an important point too. You can't just say everyone needs to get help when certain people literally they've tried. can't get, they've tried, they've tried, they've tried. And, and you know what? And if you, and when people go, the courage that it takes to go try and get therapy. And when you, if, if that fails once, a lot of people are not going to try again, you know, like they get burned, you go and yeah. you work up the courage to go. And for me, I went in and the first psychiatrist that I talked to said, oh, you don't have BPD. You're not crazy enough to have BPD. And he basically said, you also, I'm going to treat you for bipolar too, because BPD is incurable. I mean, so it's like, that's what we're working with. That exists out there. <laughs> right. And, yeah. And that exists. Does. But then Dr. Anita Federici, who I just met, uh, interviewed in my last episode, is like one of the amazing people that she's out there trying to, she goes and trains like 50 hospitals a year on radically open DBT methodology and how to break down the stigma. So it's like, there are amazing people out there that are trying to fix this broken system. But the fact remains, there are so many human beings out there that don't have access I was just on Discord last night. So many different people from different countries are talking about their experience with BPD Lolly. And they the overwhelming thing was, I can't get therapy. It's too expensive. Yeah, the, exactly. the, wait, the wait lists are so long. No one wants to treat me because I have BPD. I can't afford the medication. The roadblocks are like 10 miles high. We need to think of something different. It, yeah. It's not working. So it's like, 
you are trying to create something different that that helps people do it themselves. Because what, what do we do? Just sit there and do nothing. And I think there's so many amazing therapists and so many amazing modalities out there. And I think the more education that's out there, it lets people find what works for them. I think there's so much feedback and gatekeeping in this world of like, don't say this, don't put this out there. Like, don't say it this way. Don't say it that way. When to me, I'm like, there's gifted therapists sharing content. And I see how some people come into their comments. And I think that like, it's all about just, and, and I also see how some therapists don't like new ideas and some are really, really progressive. So it's like, just put the content out and allow people that resonate to resonate and be in that community. And you be in this community, or maybe you go to different communities, but like, I think the more I'm a believer that the more access to information, the more empowered a person is. So if you don't agree with it and there's lots of content I don't agree with, I still think it's powerful content. I still think it speaks even the most harshest critic of our company. If I look at their content, I know that they're serving a certain community and that matters. Like it might not be for me, but I have respect enough to know that people find the information that they need at the time that they need it. So the more educators, the better, the more information, the better, the more empowerment. Like I just view that as empowerment. What does the term self-healer mean to you? It just means somebody that is in control of their healing. Some people hear self and they hear alone on an island. To Mm -hmm. us, like a self-healer can definitely go to therapy because it's like I'm healing myself and I do that through therapy. Um, it just means somebody who's healing themselves. And I believe because I've lived it, that we are made to heal. I believe that the body has deep wisdom. I believe that there's lots of things we can do to make our mental wellness better. And honestly, I believe a majority of those things are completely free or low cost. And I don't think that they're talked enough about in the mental health community. I think it's very much talk therapy and medication and anything outside of that which both of those can be very valid. There's nothing like wrong or bad, but anything outside of those two things that they're offering is often seen as woo-woo or pseudoscientific or whatever else. And I'm like, why not make a wider offering? Yes. You know, why not have more things available to people so people can try different things and see what works because this one-size-fits-all approach to mental health is whacked and has been failing. Like the mental health system is failing. There's more therapists than ever. There's more medication than ever. And people are sicker than ever. And that's not, I'm not, that's not to be negative or like a pessimist. That's just reality. And reality is gifting us with feedback. And the feedback is that it's not looking so good. So we need to change some things and have some new voices and have some different modalities and see how that goes. <laughs> like yes. pretty much. I, I, yes, absolutely. I agree with that. I'm so curious, like in like fantasy land, if you right now were like Lolly, like magic president of mental health of like in the world, <laughs> <laughs> I just made that title up. What, I love it. <laughs> what would you do? Like, because you all as a company spend more time than I have at all. And you spent so much time talking to Nicole, who's actually worked in the system. What changes would you make right now today if you could, if you could change anything right now? I'm so curious. In the mental health system? Yeah. It can be as radical as you want. 
I mean, honestly, I wouldn't make any changes to it. I feel like the mental health system right now in the way that it is, it's, it's not serving people and they're not going to change. Like the DSM is a Holy grail, the way they're doing things. I'm just for making other approaches. Mm. And what we believe is the best approach to mental health is a self-guided healing journey that is different for everyone. It looks totally, you know, I don't have this magic answer because what's going to work for you is going to be different for me. So so the radical approach I would have is just more education. And I know I keep stressing that, but like Mm -hmm. education on getting sun, education and being in nature, like all of these things that are kind of just, oh, mildly important gut health. Like who's talking about this in mainstream mental health? All of these things are just not talked about. So what all I would do is just educate. And that's what we do. Like, that's what our brand does is we just bring different ideas and we bring in people to our community and within our membership that have different ideas and that serve people in a different way. And the results have been, I mean, the messages that we get from people are just unbelievable. Like the healing that has taken place. And some of these people have never paid us a dollar. They're just reading the content and they're, they're putting, we're not healing these people. Like we're not these magical unicorns. They're doing this themselves. Yeah. People can heal themselves. And the reason we feel the way we do is because, and I'm sure you've heard from the podcast and the content that you put out, it helps people integrate this stuff and people change their lives. And this information is life-changing. All I would do is just allow people access to the information. That's so powerful. You hit on two really important points is like, I think that's exactly right. Is the mental health system at large is very binary. It's like, okay, if you have anxiety, do this, A, B, C. If you have, it's like such a, it's just as limited. Or if you have BPD, you need to go to DBT therapy, but it's proven. I just spoke to Dr. Federici where there's lots of different research coming out, but all of it basically boils down to people are very unique. What works, even if you have BPD, just because you are diagnosed with this book, the DSM, that says you may have traits of borderline personality disorder, you're a unique individual. Like one person may need to meditate and go on walks and get vitamin D and do talk therapy. The next person may need to do, have gut health and have a low dose antidepressant for a while to get them back up to normal and then blah, blah, blah. But it's like, it needs to be so much more individualistic. And you're exactly right where you don't even have to pay to go into the self healer circle, just having access to the information people have their own epiphanies and it's like they could see one post on my Instagram or one post on the holistic psychologist. And it's like, it creates that spark. And that's where the spirituality comes in, in my opinion, because it's like, I, I talk about it in the podcast. Everyone has their aha moment. And that's when your journey starts. The aha moment is usually like, for me, it was like, Oh fuck. I'm the problem. Like I was like, I, (laughs) it was, it's me. Yeah. 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 I was like, Oh shit. I am the problem. And then I, I tell everybody you can feel sad about it. And I felt sad about it for a week, but then I thought I'm the problem can either be the saddest or the most empowering realization that you have. And it's your decision to decide, right? Yeah. It's, it's absolutely empowering. Cause if you're the problem, you can change. 
Yes. And I can resonate with that. (laughs) Absolutely. I can resonate with it. You find out you're all this time you've been blaming other people and it's everyone else's fault. And suddenly it's your fault. And then you're empowered. That is the beginning. And I don't mean it's your fault, like beating yourself up and like abusing yourself. I mean, like it's my fault and I can change is the beginning of empowerment. For me, it felt almost like zooming out of my body and like seeing all of my toxic patterns and seeing how much each relationship that kind of fell apart had in common and all the jobs that I left (laughs) and all the, like all the places that I picked up and moved to. And then I realized, I think I saw like the quote that was like, everywhere you go, there you are. There you are. Yeah. Yeah. You can't run away from yourself. And I realized, oh shit. I've got to do something about this. I can't keep running away from myself. I have to. And then it just kind of felt like from there, the right resources just started appearing for me. Like, and that's why I'm just such a spiritual person because I can't not believe in God or something bigger than myself or however you want to call it. I don't believe in like some universal sky daddy, but I do believe that there's there's something that was guiding me to the right resources. And I just started trusting that I wanted to change and the right things would come, come my way. And, and they did. And I felt empowered for the first time ever. What was your, like, I'm the problem aha moment. Do you, what were like some of the toxic patterns you felt that you were, you were stuck? Oh, many. So I, I was raised by like a what you would call a borderline personality mom. Mm-hmm. Um, now I just call all of that attachment trauma on like yeah. varying scales, but it is like, it's empowering to understand like, oh, I was raised by a parent who had these like very, you know, uh, my mom could not regulate her emotions. She was, had very, she had emotional outbursts. It was very unpredictable. Mm-hmm. So all those patterns, you know how it is. They were in me. I had the same exact things that were in her were in me and I had to face that. And like, yeah, I just, it wasn't one aha moment. It was a series of moments of like me being miserable, of my life being terrible. Um, just of results that I did not want in my life when I realized it is me and I can totally live. I was on um, one of my aha moments. I was on um, Clonopin mm-hmm. back in the day. Oh, and yeah. I, w- were you? Uh, yep. Oh. Good times. Was, yeah. <laughs> great times. And I realized like, I don't want to be dependent on this medication anymore. Like my psychiatrist at the time was like, take it when you can't sleep, take it when just like, take it. It's like, it's um, all the time though. That's why like when I had Xanax and yes. and my doctor was like, just take it when you're in a crisis. And I was like, <laughs> every day I'm in a crisis every day, 24 yeah. seven. Mm-hmm. So when you're telling someone who's traumatized, like, Hey, you know, just take this medication. Um, and of course it's my response, like it's everyone's responsibility, but Hey, whenever you feel stressed, just like take this When I didn't know anything about the nervous system. I didn't know yeah. anything about the effects of benzos and it's just like, pop this pill, of course. And you feel nothing, which is great, yep. you know? Um, and it is great. So it is great. And then one day it wasn't great. And I was like, this was a major awakening for me. Like, I just don't want to be on these medications. Mm-hmm. It's specifically a benzo. I was also on an SSRI. Benzos for me are like a big giant, like they're just a different beast. And I decided that I was, I was in Mexico and I was like, you know what? I was trying to like ration my pills for like them to last in the time period and like that type thinking. Oh my God. I'm literally like, I remember like splitting Clonopin and Xanax fours and being like, okay, I can't take this unless I okay, is this as bad because then I'll only have this much left. Like 
oh, I know fucking mental math that you do. Yes. And I'm like, whoa, like I've gotten to this point, like what you just said, even I can still feel that in my body. Like, oh, I'm splitting this pill. I'm saving this one. And I'm like, this is not good for me. Um, so that was the major awareness. And I, I don't, for anyone that's listening, I definitely don't recommend this, but I did it. I just completely quit, um, Conopin after like a very, like a year and a half or something. I had the worst withdrawal. It was horrific. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was like two weeks of just, I thought I was like dying and, that was a major awakening and awareness for me. And then I started like taking care after I was alive again. Um, I started taking care of my body and really got disciplined about like doing yoga every day and doing breath work and like going on this journey to actually heal, not take a pill, but like actually heal and figure out how my childhood impacted me. I figured out the consequences of being raised in this really dysfunctional home that I thought was totally normal. That was not at all. I mean, And it technically is normal. Like you see a lot of posts of like, it's normal. And I'm like, yeah, a lot of shit right now is very normal. That's highly dysfunctional. That doesn't mean it's like, okay, or like service to the human race, but like, it doesn't mean you want to continue it. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't, you, you can break it in your life because that's the thing too. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to cut you off either. Like, because when you said that you went cold Turkey, I also went cold Turkey. Did you? Oh, fuck yeah. And I went cold turkey wow. off of Xanax, Lexapro, uh, um, what else was I on? Trazodone, and then uh, Seroquel, which is like an wow. antipsychotic. Wow. All at once? All at once. And now tell me what that was like. Uh, I thought I was dying. So yeah. I'll, I'll tell you that I worked at a drug rehab when I was 19, when I was in college. And so I basically got to, um, I was there like the, the rehab tech. And so I worked night shifts cause I could do my homework at night and I would basically be giving the clients, the clients, which are the people at the rehab, we called them clients. So they're like a lot of addicts. Um, and I would be giving the clients their methadone pretty much and suboxone, which is like helping them wean off. Mm-hmm. So I, I witnessed people detoxing off alcohol, which by the way, is some of, which is like the hardest. Perfect. Yep. And you can die uh, detoxing off alcohol if you quit right away. So like Mm -hmm. those patients were watched really closely. I watched people detoxing off meth, heroin, everything. And this is before I was on um, any type of psychiatric medication. And I watched the hell they went through. Like they were shaking. They were cold. They like all the the, like classic stereotypical like drug addicts weaning off of drugs. Like you, you see them throwing up and not being able to get out of bed. I felt just like that. I I literally was shaking. I know I, the feeling. I I I went through it. Yep. I, I had brain feeling. brain zaps, like where I felt yep. like I would get the brain zaps, where it's like you feel like you're just kind of like there's an electric current going through your brain. Like I um was violently sick, diarrhea, stomach, every possible thing that you could have, mm. and I thought no one told me about this. Like no one told me that my doctor, when they put me on all this, didn't tell me that a, they didn't say like, if you go off, like titrate yourself off, but like you do hear, don't go off to cold Turkey, but I'm a crazy bitch. And so I was like, fuck this. I can do it. And then, and then, and then as soon as I quit, I went, uh oh, now I know why they say don't go off cold turkey. So I'm telling everyone, don't go off cold turkey because it's a really horrible thing. Horrible. But 
for me, and also, I also don't want anyone to think like that you we're saying like, go off all of your medications because that's not true. Medication, no. SSRI in, jet, in, in particular, Lexapro, a little dose of Lexapro got me to a stable place after I was really suicidal. But for me, I realized that I was like deadened. I couldn't cry. I couldn't feel my emotions anymore. And then all of this material that I was reading was saying, you need to feel your emotions. You need to like work through your trauma. And I was like, how can I heal if I can't feel? Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think that what you just said is important. The distinction between for me, taking SSRI is totally different than a benzo, which I later learned that you're really only supposed to uh, prescribe benzos for like 14 days. Yep. They're I heard that too. Technically to be learned. And I learned this while I was withdrawing. I was like, this makes a lot of sense. They're technically <laughs> supposed to be extremely short term. They're not like mm-hmm. an SSRI that you can use long term. Like these are very powerful drugs that should be used like and I don't want to say actually in crisis because when you're traumatized, you can consider, but like for a very short period of time in crisis. They're not a long-term strategy. They're not. And my psychiatrist, who's a very well-respected psychiatrist in Philly, like was speaking about these, like they're just a long-term, we'll just keep upping your dose for the rest of your life. And to me, that's like, and again, that's not all therapists. It's not, I mean, that's yep. not all psychiatrists doing that. So I don't want to say there's, I have spoken to other psychiatrists that are like, honestly, I think benzos are the worst thing. I won't even like touch those. Thinking back now, I am, you know, I was 20, maybe 25. I'm very surprised that it was spoken the way it was just very like, lack, not even a warning. Mm. That's, that's the thing too, is I think I am all for like whatever works for anyone. But what I do believe is that people should be told a about withdrawal and B about all the side effects and C about all the other alternatives that you can do first before going on a medication that would be a huge game changer in my opinion. Um, and what I would love to see, because I know a lot of people, they, Medication is a huge part of their recovery journey, and we are totally in support of you on that. But I think maybe the lesson here, too, is like, don't pop uh, Klonopin and Xanax like candy, like me and Lolly. <laughs> yeah, don't don't be a pill popper. I do yeah, agree. Like, do my that. SSRIs, I was on Celexa, and it really did help me, like, come back to a basis as well. Yep. So I don't want to just talk about the negatives, but yes, do not do not be popping pills. You really do have to weigh, like, what are the side effects? What are, you know, like... But again, we don't hear enough about that. You don't get enough education yeah, about there's those no things. informed consent with it. There's no conversation around it. It's just here, here's a pill. Like even when I see like the things going around and I understand the stigma of it, like just holding a pill bottle and just, you know, smiling in this, like one part of me is like, that's great because it does destigmatize. Another part of me is like, you know, there does lie a responsibility in telling the whole story about this because I would hate to hear you know, I'm 37. I would hate to hear another girl like me at 25 years old, just lackadaisically like taking all these without all of the knowledge. Now, does that mean that I regret taking them? No, I don't because I learned a lot and it was part of my journey. I learned a lot, a lot during that time and it was part of my journey, but, um, I would hope that there would be more education so that people can make an informed choice from, again, this comes from knowledge. Like when we limit knowledge and we only tell one side of story or we just gatekeep the information, people are not empowered to have the whole story and to make the, like the health decisions that are best for them. And I think that only knowledge can do that and knowledge, not just from the people who 
make the medication, but from other voices of people who um, are giving, you know, a wide picture. Yes. I mean, that's the theme for me too. And it ties into what you were saying before. It's like, we're way too black and white. It's like, you know, we need to have more of a nuanced view of a lot of different things of healing of medication. It's like, just because someone says medication doesn't work for them or they want to find a way forward without medication doesn't mean you're shaming medication and fuck you, Molly, right? It's like you can hold the belief that medication might be great for one person and then also say your story and why you choose to not be on medication because a whole subset of people need to hear what you're saying. Like they need to hear that message. So voices – too many voices are being silenced right now on a lot of different levels, I in my opinion. I couldn't agree more. I think it's like terrible. It yeah. really is terrible. There's room and for all opinions and we need them. My God, we need them. We really, really need them. And when we just say, and the thing is, is people don't believe that you can hold like two opinions about the same thing. Like I've noticed this, like, it's like, oh, you're anti this, you're anti that. And it's like, you know, I'm, there's very few things in life that I'm actually anti on. Like yes. even if I don't understand them or they're not for me, like I don't really feel myself being anti. I can see wider perspective about things, but I I notice that when you have that ability, a lot of people twist want to twist what you're saying and can't really accept that you really could believe that like we'll just use the medication thing. I 100% believe that medication helps people and yeah. I 100% believe that it could hurt people. You know, like I share, there's, I have multiple, and I feel like that about like, and that's the most, that's the most sane view in my opinion, you know, like it's like, and I think a lot of people are in that viewpoint. I think there's a lot of sane middle of the road people. I think the majority of us are this voice, Yep. but we're not as loud and as like, you know, out there with opinions. And that's why I think there's this huge middle of the world. And I'm sure you see it in your community that loves this stuff and feels so seen and heard because finally someone's a little bit more centric on things and doesn't have this like, you know, one way or this way or that way view. And, um, I think that's why your community has grown. I know that's why our community has grown. Like we hold a lot of space for a lot of different ideas. Some ideas are more triggering than others. And, you know, but we hold space for a lot of different ideas and that's, that's a mental practice. Like to me, that's like, an amazing ninja mental practice of teaching yourself how to do that. And I do, I've done this for a long time. Like I'll listen to Joe Rogan. I'll listen Mm -hmm. to people who bring on, like, I've done this for my mind for the past like 10 years, like, because I've exposed myself to so many people and it helps me think of understand why they think the way that they do. And I feel like people just don't look at other sides of things. They only look at their side and then they're in an echo chamber. Yep. And that's how we get very like, you know, we fall into this idea that censorship is good, which is like, mm-hmm. I know that's even controversial to say, but like, you know, we start to think, oh, we'll just remove this person or remove this voice. And then who's left? We can't do that. It's interesting. Cause I think this is like such a cool way to like verge into web three kind of conversations, because why I get so excited about web three, the concept is I get excited because I feel like it creates the ability for these little micro communities to pop up. And it's like, there's space for everyone, right? Like there is, there is space for everybody. Find the communities that you like. People shouldn't be silenced. It's like, if you don't want to listen to what someone has to say, yeah, don't listen then. 
And I agree with you. Web3 is the path to decentralization. Right now, there's like five companies that own everything. They own all the social channels and they're, you know, you want to call big tech is usually the word. They have control over everything. And in a moment's notice, they can remove you. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because now that kind of propelled us into Web3 where people are not going to be owned by five companies anymore because yes. we've seen what happens when five powerful companies own everything and can silence people and can censor people along the way. Like, And for those of you well. that are thinking, what the fuck, Molly and Lolly, what does Web3 have to do with mental <laughs> health? And I'm here to say this is such a perfect uh, little sidebar to what you're saying. For example, it may have been two years ago. It was before I was in the mix. I deleted my socials for like two years. And so I missed this whole wave. But there was two years ago where Instagram literally deleted the BPD hashtag, like made it so that you could not tag BPD because they thought that it was like the fact that people, they were, it was perpetuating self-harm. And so I, mean, they, I was going to say, was there some yes. self-harm about that? Yeah. Yes. They silenced the BPD hashtag. So everybody that was trying to tag BPD and connecting with one another, they couldn't do it because Instagram removed the hashtag. And so a bunch of incredible BPD advocates flooded and like made a bunch of petitions about that to bring it back. And it's like, this is the perfect example of, in my opinion, why a, I started a podcast because nobody can fuck with my RSS feed. I own my RSS feed. I can say whatever the fuck I want and no one can come and and take me off air. But I went on Instagram knowing that Instagram is not my ultimate goal because People can take down my posts. I don't own my my platform there. And it's not a nice feeling when you're an entrepreneurial <laughs> spirit and you're trying to build something and you know that like some like ball scratching dude at Instagram could just be like, tick, I'm just gonna remove that. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, no, and I, I couldn't agree more. Like for the holistic psychologist, as much content as we put out across all these platforms, the only thing we own is our podcast. Yep. And our website, which even like websites, they're on a centralized platform. Like they can take your website from you too. Yeah. You don't really even own your website though. You kind of think you do. You pretty much lease your website. That's what we are in web two. Web two is social media. We're all leasing. We're all leasing. And the people who run these companies are making all the advertising money. That's why so many billionaires and like, it's going to be trillionaires soon are made during this period because it's going to a very small percentage because they own and we lease. And Web3 is going to be a change in everyone having ownership, which to me is extremely important for accessibility, diversity, the lack of gatekeepers in this new Web3. You know, I mean, it's it's incredible to think about what's going to happen in the next 10 years. I'm, I think I speak for everyone in being like, when I saw NFTs, Web3 and all that stuff start popping up, I immediately was like, oh my God, I'm so intimidated by this because I have no idea what the fuck any of this means. Even if you don't know much about Web3, one thing that I can as someone who I don't know as much, Zaz and Lolly are much more in the know, I'm a history nerd. And so like, I always thought that like the time of the enlightenment and the Renaissance were like the coolest eras of history. And it must've been such a fun time to be alive. And I think about now as like another renaissance. Zaz always says that he thinks that right now is like the creative renaissance. Do you agree with that? I think it's 100% the creative renaissance. 
And I think that's the most exciting thing that could possibly happen for the human race. Yes. And you posted something yesterday, I think it was like from another Instagram account that was like, you'll probably remember it more, but it was a, a story that a guy posted and he said something like, what web three means is that like all the creative hobbies that you had in the past that people told you that you couldn't make money from web three makes that possible. Is like, I can't, yeah. is, it said something like that. People of BPD that listen to this podcast overwhelmingly are some of the most creative people. 100%. And yeah. so like, I'm talking about this now because it's like, this is stuff we should start as people with BPD should start knowing. And all these people that are working these dead end jobs or jo- they call them like bullshit jobs. I talked to you about this. I think before there's a whole book about like that are working corporate jobs and maybe you're a creative BPD person. And you're like, how could I even monetize my creative job? Web three makes that a possibility. It does. And when you have BPD and you're a creative person and you're working in a job that's even more soul sucking, it's, it's traumatic in a way. And yes. long term like that, like I was born in the eighties in the eighties, when you were born in the eighties, you went to school, you excelled in school, which I was a terrible student. I was diagnosed with a billion learning disabilities, was like getting terrible grades. Like you go to school, you become a doctor or lawyer, and that's like the path to happiness, you know? That was the same message and I got. Yep. Yeah. Like, you know, it's pretty much, I shouldn't even say the eighties. It's pretty much the message. Yep. And now there's this opportunity to use NFTs, which NFTs are just, there's essentially a blockchain and there's going to be tokens that you'll own. So you can release and you can make projects on this blockchain. Like you could do this for your podcast where you create value for your community, just like on social, we're all doing this, except for all we get is likes and comments. Like right now, when you, you're not paid any money through Instagram, mm-hmm. right? No, I make nothing doing what I'm doing now. Okay. It's out of the goodness That's important of my to heart. ask though. <laughs> and I, you know, I appreciate you answering, but most yeah. people don't understand, like we don't make a dollar off of Instagram. The yep. holistic psychologist with 4.5, whatever it is, we don't make a dollar off of Instagram. That's important nope. for people to understand. So we can't monetize our content in that way. We have a business built around that, that we built ourselves, but we cannot monetize our content. What this would mean for creators is unbelievable. You would own your memes. You would be paid when they're shared. I mean, can you imagine the amount of work we had to do to build this community and how long like that took? And we had to scrape every dollar. This means that people coming after us can do this way earlier. Like you can build a community. And I love that for people, like the easier, the better, you know? So yeah, like you can create, it's kind of hard to see now because we're in this social media, like, like era. Yeah but you're going to be able to release something on a blockchain, have ownership, and also sell it to your community who will also financially benefit. Typically in the past, there's been like a publishing agency or a record label who gives you a terrible deal. To me, it's exploitative, to be quite honest. Like I can tell you, Lolly, both Zaz and I are ex-musicians. So I had a record label meeting at Interscope in LA. Zaz also had like a record deal offer in New York City. People that aren't in the music industry, like it is the most exploitative industry. I, I had my masters stolen from me because I wouldn't sleep with producers. Like every horror story in the book, like it's so traumatizing. And it's like basically like creative slavery. It's actually definitely creative slavery. That's a profound way to say it. That's what it is. Yeah. And you're working to get someone else very wealthy and you're getting these scraps and you have more than the money. Cause I think a lot of people in the NFT space are super focused on like the financials of it. To me, it's a spiritual thing. 
even now when I invest in crypto or like NFTs, I, I love hearing the talks about what this does spiritually. I love hearing about people in Venezuela having power when they're, they don't have any money because yes. they're going to invest in like, this is a spiritual endeavor. This is like a very deep process of ownership and more so than getting an empowerment. Money, it's an empowerment and a choice of like, being able to do what you want to do when you want to do it, not being a puppet for a record label. I mean, we grew up with, well, I'm older than you, but like I grew up with Britney Spears and so, Christina Aguilera. I, I was born How in 89. I was born in 89. Okay. I'm 32. Oh, so like I, 32. one of my, yeah, my <laughs> first like CD. 25. No, 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 no. Like my first CD was Hanson and Backstreet Boys. So okay, like, so I remember. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. We're the same. So if you ever watch, like I was watching a documentary about NSYNC they literally this documentary like they would practice 16 hours a day they were they were on tour and Lou Perlman the guy that created them and was making like 30 million dollars a year and they could barely afford a one bedroom apartment in Orlando like this is a you could I don't know the name of it in Orlando yes (laughs) in Orlando of all places I was like so not even Brooklyn (laughs) it was bad So yeah, like this gives agency and autonomy to creators. And I think it's unbelievably cool. And this should just excite all of you. This podcast for me is about empowering my listeners. And because people with BPD and CPTSD, like, and I'm with you, Lolly, where I say, fuck the diagnoses. We're all suffering with complex trauma and attachment wounds of some kind. And whether you identify with CPTSD or BPD or whatever diagnoses that you come to find this podcast on, you're probably a highly sensitive, highly creative person that has something to offer the world, but you have been shoved into a box and taken a job that you felt like you had to take. And we are in the midst of a creative renaissance that means that you can probably find your place and make your niche possible. Start dipping your toe into the web three world. What is your favorite resource, Lolly? Like if people want to start learning about web three and not feel terrified, like I did Zaz, (laughs) Zaz dropped me in the fucking deep end too soon. And I was like, no. So it's like, don't be afraid either. If it's confusing at first, it starts to make more and more sense. But what would you recommend for people that are just dipping their toe in the web three NFT world? YouTube. Like I, I drop myself in the deep end. I have our team. I'm like, girls look into this. This is where we're headed, you know? Um, so just YouTube, but then not getting overwhelmed when you don't under, like I still, even though I've studied this stuff for hours, I still don't fully understand it, but it's like when people doubted social media back in the day and social media became everything. Yeah. I've learned that when something new comes along, there's massive resistance and people will say it's stupid or like, they'll just be resistant to it. And I've learned to adapt. So the easiest way is to just go on YouTube and just start like listening to different voices, like NFTs easily explained or web three, like I'll literally type that out into Google Mm -hmm. and just listening to how they're describing it. Different people have different styles, but it starts to connect with repetition. Yes. And also start at the same time as doing that. If you have felt like there's a creative thing that you do that you felt like you can't make money off of, it's like, start doing that thing again and like start building your skills and realize that in the next five, 10 years, like you could be in the web three universe with your own business. Like 
one of my first um, college classes, I have a communications degree, which is widely known as like Same the most girl. Bull- Oh my God, because it's the most bullshit college degree. Total bullshit. Yeah. I mean, I would wager to say like, unless you're like a lawyer or a doctor or like a teacher, like a, a like most college degrees are pretty bullshit anyways. But um, <laughs> I, I, and I went to college and I think it's bullshit. Zaz didn't Same. though. Um, it's just bullshit. And now I have student loans that I have to pay off. Um, so anyway, like I got a communications degree. My first communications teacher, and it's the only thing I remember from college because I was dissociating and just fucking random people and filling my brain <laughs> with drugs, you know, but <laughs> but I did take a, a, a communications class and I'll never forget her. Her name was Gretchen, my teacher, and she was probably like 60 years old. And this was probably, I would say it was my first community college class. And it was in, I would say 2008. And she said, all right, everyone, I'm going to teach you what I can but I know that the jobs that I'm training you all to take to, to uh, have, they haven't even been created yet. The jobs that all of you yeah. in my classroom are going to have, they haven't mm-hmm. even been created yet. So I'm going to teach you the basics of what I know. And I didn't think anything of it then, but now when I look back, I'm like, oh my God, she's so right. Like yep. think about how far we've come since just 2008 when I uh, was there. And then my mom the other day, she forwarded me a Christmas cookie recipe for my grandma who since passed away, who's like my favorite person ever. And my mom took this picture of an old email that my grandma sent my mom in 1995 or something. Wow, like, OG. Yeah, and my grandma's uh, email address was like at juno.com. Juno was like an old email yep, thing that I yep. hadn't seen in so long. And just seeing how like, janky that email looked. And then it made me zoom out. And I was like, think about what my teacher said. It's like, look how far we've come. And so in 10 years from now, we could be living and we will be living in a completely different space. And the best and most empowering thing we can start doing for ourselves is learning about learning. Web three because I don't like the the path that like for example, I love him, Tom Bilyeu, like, you know him, like love mm-hmm. impact theory, but I saw he posted something the other day and he's like, he's posting nonstop about NFTs and he's like, inform yourself or get left behind. And someone commented on it and said, whenever you say like, we're going to get left behind, like it really makes me feel like so stressed. And so it's like, I want to say like, <laughs> I actually, you know, I empathize with, with that because if you start like it, that can scare you, but it's like, don't let that scare you. Don't let the people that are like gung ho about this freak you out. But I think there's an element of truth in what Tom is saying, where it's like, empower yourself with the knowledge now, because we're at like the beginning of the adoption curve, right? Yeah. And I'm getting all techy, beginning. but it's just she like- knows adoption curve. Yeah, yeah girl. <laughs> I work in tech, but not in, not like Zaz, but I work in software and, but it's just like, we're at the beginning. So now is the perfect time to start, you know, learning because if you're in a job you hate right now, there are so many people that I talk to that are people that really don't like what they're doing. So it's like, what better way? Start educating yourself because in 10 years, you could be doing something that you really love in an environment that we don't even know about yet. Yeah, I completely agree. And I also wouldn't stress about like getting left behind. Like you can start, you could even start now on Instagram. That's like, been yeah. off, you know, like the whole, like you'll be left behind in anything. It's like not really helpful because no, you, you won't. won't. It's where no. we're headed and it can help you to have an advantage if you're 
um, you know, ahead of the curve or you're learning about this stuff or, or even you're just minded to hearing about it, you know, because I'm sure you see from Tom's comments. I, I also follow him. Um, some people are just like super anti and shut down to it, like some things. And if you're just open to it and willing to learn, like you, I, you're not going to be left behind. Yes. You're, you're it's part just of like, the you know, how banks didn't used to be like, we, we went from like paying everything in cash. Then we eventually had cards. Like if things, if society moves forward, you will also move forward. Everyone eventually, no one had to like give everyone a card tutorial. It's just like eventually hist- history just moves forward and you just, you just hop on board. Well, like you're. <laughs> It's funny because I'm a little like, I don't remember this. I was too young when this happened, but I was listening to somebody talk about how people were afraid to use credit cards on the internet. Yep. Zaz's mom was literally talking about this the other day where she said all of her friends were like, she was one of the first person to get people in her, her circle to get mobile banking. And they were like, oh my God, you're going to get scammed. Right? Like everyone was like, I'm going to take a credit. And this is hard. Like people listening are like, what? Because I just bought something on Amazon this morning. I pay online for everything. But in the beginning, the idea of putting a credit card number into a computer was shook people. Like they would, that was like, no way am I doing that. So it's helpful to understand that as people are like, oh, this won't happen or that won't happen. People adapt very quickly. Humans like convenience. They like to adapt. They like things done a certain way. And we adapt to the way things are, even when we think that we're not going to adapt to the way things are. Yeah. And we like things getting easier. And right now, while it, it seems while it seems like scary because it's hard to understand, it's like it will make life easier. And even if you don't become a crypto expert, it will become part of society and it will make your life easier in some way, whether or not you're like buying a house or you're doing something like it's going to impact your life. And so it's just like, for me, I'm just going, how can I learn about this so that I can make the biggest impact that I can, because I want to build a business. Like I have dreams to do what you all are doing. And it's like being, you're able doing to, what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I am doing what you all are doing and I want to do it. I want to be able to build a team and that mm-hmm. will involve me getting funding. And I want to be able to make changes and get funding for people to get mental health therapy. And it's like web three allows me to do that. And so I'm wanting to learn more about it. And I encourage everyone else to learn more about it too. So Lolly, I have taken up a significant amount of your day. So I want it's to- It's been great. I love it's it. It's been so great. For those of my listeners that are really struggling like right now with their mental health, like what are your top tips and free free things that you can offer to them? Like what has worked for you personally? Because it may resonate with people. Just kind of like- whatever you want to share. So the top thing I want to share is that everyone's struggling with their mental health. Mm -hmm. Everyone is doing way worse than you think behind closed doors. Everyone puts on a front. No one knows what, what they're doing. Like, I know this isn't the typical answer, but I feel like no one ever says this. Like even us, like we have all this. I just went on a rant about this on Instagram. Just this. Yeah. Yep. Like nobody knows what they're doing. We still have no idea what we're doing. We're guessing we're making mistakes all the time. Like, I think that the first thing is understanding that people aren't feeling the way that you think they are, even if they're presenting the way you think you are. So struggling and having these normal human emotions is just part of life. So I think that's step one to not look outside yourself and be like, oh, everyone's over happy over here. People are struggling. Yep. And two, um, 
follow your curiosity and your creativity. I feel like, especially, I mean, you said it perfectly, people with BPD or attachment trauma, like they're very creative people, very sensitive people, very aware people. So Mm -hmm. follow that pull. Like even if you're educating yourself on YouTube or just reading articles or getting books or like just joining things online, joining online communities, follow that and start to like follow your passion. We've been so conditioned and trained to not do that. And doing that in itself is very healing. Yes. Oh, so, so true. The rant that I went on Instagram was all about how I just felt like I wake up and like, like I have to fight kind of like the veil of doom every single morning, like, like a gnawing emptiness that just kind of creeps in. And so mm-hmm. I have to like, and then sometimes what we do is we go on Instagram to distract ourselves from that the gnawing emptiness. And so then what do we see on Instagram is like curated moments of people looking as hot as they want to present the best moments that they have. And so it's like, we're not when we're at our lowest moments sitting around in our sweatpants, feeling like we're the only one suffering the, the message that we receive is like, you are the only one. And that's what I ranted on Instagram. I'm like, every single person is thinking about death and like the monotony of life that we just, what are we just shitting, peeing, eating, working, going to sleep and doing it all over again? Like that is a heavy fucking feeling, but no one's talking about that. They're snatching their waist and like face tuning their face and saying, just got proposed to going to St. Bart's. And it's like, yeah. Oh my. And it's so easy to feel alone, but you're exactly right. Like, and, or just got a promotion. They don't talk about like someone crying before a meeting and being like, can I do this again? Like whenever, every time I host a meeting at work, I'm like, what if they all know that I don't know what I'm talking about? Like I'm a director at my job. Like I've been in tech for 10 years, but I still feel like I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You know? And like, everyone does. Everyone, everyone feels this way. That's why I love that you're just saying it. This is just a human thing. Yes. And I feel like we, the ego likes to, um, the ego loves a little bit of drama and a little bit of misery and I'm alone in the world and likes to create stories around other people's lives. So it's great mm-hmm. to like get that veil of the illusion down that everybody thinks they're a fraud deep down. Everybody's terrified at every turn. No one knows yep. what they're really doing. Like, and these are things I tell to like our team, like, you know, I'm like, we're doing the best we can. We don't actually know what we're doing. We're always going to do the best with what we can. We're always going to be in alignment with our values. But yep. as far as like the whole like guru thing, we really, you know, that's why Nicole talks a lot about herself and her struggles. We try to mitigate that by also showing like she's very human. We're all very human. So yeah, I mean, these curated moments and this and what you see in couples, like I guess I've had like a true honor to be exposed to a lot of like highly successful people or people whose names are known. And I've gotten to see how things actually are with them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people that like I admire and and everything. And it's helped me to realize, like, I literally at this point, I don't look at anyone else's life. Like I wish that were me when I was younger. Like I used to be more like that. And it's weird. Like I've gotten to the point where I'm like, that illusion has been lost for me. I'm like, no, I know that that's there for them too. And that's a, for me, at least that's like a comforting, a comforting feeling. Such a comfort, you know, like all of the, I went to school in London, um, to a, I went my first two years of college, I went to a private or to a, a community college in Casper, Wyoming. And then I moved to London where the only school that would take my uh, community college credits was <laughs> a, was a, an American university in London, in London. And I had no idea, but it was this 
private university. And so I show up because, you know, in, in the States we go to like, we dress up to, we go to college class in like hoodies and sweatpants and like, it's just like fucking sit at the back and just be like, God, like I'm hungover. I went, I showed up to class and of course I didn't show up in hoodie and sweatpants because people in London just don't do that. Um, but I just show up my normal self and I, it turns out that this is like a private university and an international American college. And I'm going to school with like Saudi American princes, children who are rolling up in their Lamborghinis and have like a Birkin bags in college and are paying someone a thousand dollars to write all their papers for them. Like it was such a mind blowing thing. Right. And so these people are like billionaire oil tycoons Mm -hmm. and middle East daughters money that I just can't even fathom. I couldn't even go out and hang out with my friends because I had to make excuses that like, oh, I'm busy because like they were going to clubs that were like thousand dropping thousands of dollars. And like, I couldn't hang out. Right. Because I was like, I, I don't have, I can't do that. But Mm -hmm. I just realized all of them, they had the most luxurious lives, but they still were just as depressed, just as stressed, just sometimes even more so because they felt like I, I don't even get to do what I want to do. My parents are forcing me to go into the family business. And what's the point? Like, I don't even want to live anymore. So it's just like, when the but if you go on their instagram it looks like they are living the most glamorous life they could have all the plastic surgery they want they literally looked like barbie dolls like i that's when i really realized like the grass is never greener like everybody yeah. is struggling everybody it's true it's really true and it's once you realize that it kind of i feel like it makes life a little bit easier because you're not looking outside yourself for this magical you know, life that wouldn't be like yours. You realize no matter where you go, there you are, which is the truth of the situation and money. Sometimes we get tricked by like what money provides or what, especially, you know, I've been there before where you're like struggling with finances. So you you have this um, way of projecting and looking and being like, if only that were, if only I had this, I would feel better. And to a certain extent, there is reality in that. And there's also, you're still yourself. Yes. Yeah. That's why everybody like quite often, like for me, I always thought like, oh, I would, I was on a, I worked at Louis Vuitton was my first job in London. And I basically was making nothing like as like almost a barely paid intern working like 12 hours a day. And I could, I had no money. And I thought, oh, if only when I make X amount salary, then I'll be happy. I got to that. Then I got, then I thought, oh no, now if I only make this salary, then I'll be happy. And I like moved my way up the corporate ladder. And I realized every time my salary increased, again, there you are. Your mental health is still the same. And it's just like, so the best thing you can do is throw away all of that because no matter where you get on the corporate ladder, the salary ladder, the nicer your house is, if you haven't done the inner work, nothing is going to feel good. (laughs) It's incredibly true. And you're always going to meet your ego, which the human ego always wants more. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like I find as we like hit goals or we do things like specifically, I find this in myself, like I'm always wanting more, like Mm -hmm. just all in all ways. And you have to look at that too, because that's a common human trait and that's beautiful. That's how the humans have evolved and that's how we've done so much. Yes. But you also have to learn to like chill. 
You got to check the ego, right? The ego is there for a reason. It's just like how John Bradshaw, I love him. He's like a really amazing therapist. I love, you know, John Bradshaw and the listeners. I've read every book he's written. Same, obsessed. And so, but he just says, you know, shame isn't all bad. There's healthy shame. It's like ego, everyone thinks like, they say, kill the ego, kill the ego. That's actually not even true. The ego's there to like drive you forward, but you also have to have like your higher self and be aware yeah. of the ego. It's like everything needs to be in balance. And you have to be, or you'll be chased. Like if you're not, cause like even seeing that in myself, you'll be chasing things for your entire life and then you'll be dead. Yes. So it's very important to have like your higher self watching you do that. And I don't like that's not, you don't judge yourself for wanting more or like shame yourself, but yeah. you have to have a higher self that's like, hey, you know, are you going to spend your whole life chasing the next thing and literally then yep. be dead? Because that's most people, that's how they live. And then yep. at the end, you're still not happy. Or yep. are you going to have the awareness that that's happening and also create gratitude and slow down and see things as they are? And it's difficult. Like I, it's something that I'm working on too, but. It's something we're all working on. So powerful. So what is next for, I guess, two parts. What's next for the holistic psychologist as a brand? Is there anything you all are working on that you'd like to share? And secondly, if the listeners that are listening want to check out your work and get involved in what you're building, how can my listeners um, get involved? So first, any exciting announcements? Like what are you all working on now and cooking up? So right now, we haven't even announced this yet, but I'll say it here. Um, Nicole's actually writing. Um, we just finished a proposal. We're in the contract stage. She's going to be writing a book on relationships. Oh, um, cool. That's so fire. Like the proposal, it's, I know it'll speak to you and I know it'll speak to a bunch of your readers. It's, it's a relationship book with a focus on the relationship with yourself. So it's kind of counterculture mm. because I'm sure, you know, until that relationship with yourself is good, your relationships are going to be yep. dysfunctional and all these other things. And she's also writing a workbook. Um, cool. To go along with uh, like a, how to do the work workbook, which is really cool. Some people have ripped off uh, and made their own on Amazon. There's a bunch of <laughs> things that Nicole didn't write. So we'll finally have a workbook out there. And then we're also launching um, the Holistic Teachers Collective, which is a membership. Like we have the Self-Healer Circle now, which is a self-led community membership that we launch three times a year. We're going to do the same thing in the um, Teachers Collective. But the Teachers Collective is for practitioners, energy workers, anybody who wants to learn And we feel as though credentials are a bit overstated. Like we're, Mm. even though Nicole does have a doctor in psychology, she's very passionate. We all are as a company of like everyone being in the space, because even talking to you, the knowledge and awareness that you have is incredible. Like it's unbelievable. And you have no technical credentials. You've been, it's a school of life for you. Right. So yeah. We and I've are, read books. I call it bibliotherapy. I've read so many books. I feel like I have an honorary psychology degree at this point. Yeah. And like, I can just tell that by talking to you, you know, you have so much value to give, but we have this system that's like, okay, only credentialed people can speak. Mm-hmm. And I've learned from experience of like looking at their work and everyone's this, this inner work is a teaching from that comes from life. So mm-hmm. the holistic teachers collective, we're getting back to teaching and it's open to anyone from people who do have credentials because a bunch of people who do ask and want to bring this into the work um, and people who don't. So it's just ways to, we're going to have workshops from different teacher, body workers, all that kind of stuff. And Amazing. you'll be able to use this in your own practice, whatever it is. 
I love that. It's uh, I'll give shout out to Kimberly because she's a listener and she messaged me the other day and said she's just started the self healer circle. She's like just joined. Oh, cool. And cool. so yeah, she's uh, she says that she was on a wait list for a while because I think it's hard to get in, right? Because you guys have a lot of interest in these programs. Yeah, we've been building this for two years and we started on, have you ever heard of Kajabi? I haven't, no. Kajabi is just like, it's like Teachables. It's a platform, a teaching platform where you, the membership is through another site and we upload okay. things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then be, because it's affordable and very accessible, like the it's self-healer circle is $26 a month. We had mm-hmm. such demand and it would sell out so quick. So we hired a coder and we've custom built. It's kind of like a Facebook of healing on, on our website. So there's, there's a very extensive, like our last wait list was about, um, 30, 30,000 people. And we only, we, we only open it three times a year. And, um, so, and there's limited spacing. Like we have to, as a company, like we can't just let everyone in. Like we have to really scale this in a proper way and make sure that the, the people in this are getting the best experience. And like the way it's grown and just going on there. I mean, it's, I have such pride in what we've created on there. Do you ever just want to cry? Oh, I, I cry all the time. Like I'll just be sitting there and I'm like, I'm sure you know the feeling when you start something like Nicole and I started this from this terrible apartment we lived in when I, we were rock bottom and like to see what it's become is just so emotional to me and to see how like our, our team building and how it's just spread and it's like, it's so special to me. So I look at that now and I'm like, wow, I would have. And that's why I always remind myself and anyone who's listening, who sees people really far ahead, like, Mm. or who has something built really well and is like, oh, you know, I could never be them. I can never, don't be, don't let it trick you in any way. Those people Mm. started, it sucked in the beginning. Yep. It was not properly done. They made a bajillion (laughs) mistakes. I mean, I can't even tell you how many, like, So always remember that something can be started from, that's what the self-healer circle is for me. Like it started Mm -hmm. with just Instagram posts and Facebook, and then we just kept reinvesting. We kept being committed and it turned into something that if my past self saw it today, I would be like, whose is that? Like, you know, so I just want to stress to anyone that's listening that you can really, especially in the internet age, Yes. Especially we no longer, I mean, everything used to be CNN, NBC. We never had a chance to broadcast anything. And now the, like it's open, but you have Mm -hmm. to be willing to do the work and you have to be willing to show up. And I know that, you know, as a podcast host, it's very hard. It's very hard to show up. It is. So, you know, just keep that in mind as much as I want to cry, like, and we built incredible things. I mean, it was not glamorous and it started not good. (laughs) I mean, you say that you want to cry all the time and that's exactly right. Like I just started this discord server and you know, there's 200 people in there now and we've only been up for like, you know, 20, 48 hours. I don't even think it's been two days, but just watching everyone talking in there and saying, Oh, did you listen to this episode of the podcast? Like you should do this. And like, Oh yeah. And then uh, just talking, I'm like watching them. And I just thought, Oh my God, like, these are all the people that were listening to my podcast and now they're all like supporting each other. Like I felt just so overwhelmed, like with emotion. And I just started crying and Zaz was here. And when you talk about what you and Nicole went through, like Zaz and I were in North Hollywood two years ago in a 500 square foot apartment, you know, I know it well. And I, he lost his job. I had just, um, 
got done. Like I won a sexual harassment lawsuit with an employer. Like I was in a really dark place. I had just been like suicidal. I was on six different psychiatric medications. And I remember the day I stormed up to his room and I was like, I'm starting a podcast. And then what did he do? Like he, on my Instagram, he designs every post. So I write them all and he makes them look all pretty. He's like, yeah, he's the graphic designer behind all of it. Like he has such a beautiful creative vision. And we've talked about on the podcast, Zaz has intense trauma. Like he has been through hell and back. His first girlfriend died in a school shooting in Montreal. Wow. And like it where, so it's just like he and I connect so much in our like existentialism and we've been through hell and back <laughs> and we are like so dedicated to wanting to build something and hearing even me for the first time, this is the first time I've heard about you and Nicole and what you've been through. Like that gives me so much hope because it's just like, even now, sometimes I have to like drag myself to make a podcast episode or I didn't think I want, I didn't want to start this discord. Cause I was like, nobody's going to join. And Zaz was like, start the fucking discord. <laughs> and I could tell, right. To be honest, it was really funny. So anyone listening, Molly asked me about this podcast and I was like, nah, I don't, I don't think so. I don't really want to be doing podcasts. After that, she sent me a, vo- you sent me a voice note. Yeah. And I told Nicole, I was like, this girl reminds me of us. Like I can tell you're building a community. Like I see what you're doing. I've looked at all your posts. I see everything you're doing. And I'm like, this is how we started. Like, and I see that you're in it to build community and see that speaks for itself. Cause there's a lot of people out there who are building to make, and there's not building to make money. I want to make it very clear. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. There's something very special about someone who's trying to build community and like knows like, and I saw that in you right away, the way you pitched yourself. I was like, all right, I'm going to go on this girl's podcast because (laughs) you know, um, I just, I know it. I know the drive and the hunger to create something and you have that. And I know too, like having a supportive partner, me and Nicole did this, just her and I, we, we isolated from the world and we did it. We had 100% faith and we showed up. It was very, very difficult, especially when we were, you know, had no resources, we were broke and it was like a hustle and a struggle. And it was 14 hours a day. And the first time we launched a circle, I mean, we really messed up and like, I couldn't sleep for three days because I was just answering every single message next to her. It was, it was a hard hustle, but like, it's unbelievable when you stick to it. I know I'm going to talk to you in a couple of years. I'm going to be like, girl, I told you. And like, I want, I want people to do that for each other because there's so much, and this is stereotypical, but with women, there's so much pettiness and there's so much tearing each other down. I see it all the time in the work that we put out there. And I just want to help other women to be entrepreneurs because I know the power that comes from that and create their own agency and put out their own content. Even when you, I know you, some days you don't want to do it. We've all been there, like, you know, but you're showing up and that's incredible. I'm proud of you. I just want to cry. Thank you. That really means so much because that's what Zaz is. Zaz will call off and be like, do you see what you're doing? Like, do you see, do you see what you're building? And I'm a person that's like humble and unaware to a fault that I'm like, all I do is like, I just tell him, I'm like, no, I'm just doing the next step. You know, like, I'm like, I'm yeah. just doing, I'm doing the next step. I promise myself I'm going to post an episode every week. I'm going to start the discord. And I'm just like taking the next step. Taking that's the next it. Step. And Zaz is like a, a serial big picture guy. And he's like, do you see what you're building? Do you see the impact? <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm just like, I don't know. I'm just doing what I think I have to do. And so it's but just- you're doing it. And that's huge. <laughs> exactly. And that's why you're so right. Like we're a good combination. And I do see like you and you and Nicole really are like me and Zaz, like a very yeah. similar, similar couple. And 
I, for one, can't wait to see like how we can, we'll continue. I know you and I are going to continue to be in touch and I can't wait for it to see where our friendship goes. And just thank you for, thank Thank you for for having on it. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you everyone so much for joining today. I loved that conversation with Lolly and I really hope you did too. So as usual, you can find all of the stuff we talked about in today's episode in the show notes. I'm going to be including some cool web three YouTube videos that you can start with. I will link to where you can find the holistic psychologist and their incredible resources, as well as lots of other goodies. So go ahead and click into the show notes of this podcast episode and you can access all that good stuff. And as usual, I hope you have an amazing day. You're awesome. I love every single one of you that tunes into this podcast. You're making my dreams come true. I hope you know that. All right, you messy, amazing, emotional, fabulous human beings doing this life thing. That is it for today's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening because out of all the millions, billions of podcasts in the world, you chose to listen to mine and that means a lot to me. And if you listen this far, I know you never want to miss a new episode. So to make sure that doesn't happen, click follow in your podcast player of choice and you will be alerted every time I drop a new one. To help me grow and help the podcast reach as many people as possible, go ahead and leave an honest rating and review. Not only that, I love to hear your feedback, so please share it with me. I read every single review, and you just might hear it read out loud on the podcast. To connect with me directly, follow me on social media and keep up with all the new updates. You can find that all at backfromtheborderline.com. And as always, any articles, resources, or other helpful information you've heard today can be found in the description of this podcast episode. So don't forget to check out the show notes. And until we meet again, remember, life is a circle, a cycle, a process, separation, initiation, return. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.